It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmilk with you, today's guest, Bruce Feldman, college football reporter for both Fox Sports and The Athletic. But first, to remind everybody, you can find the Giants huddle podcast on our Giants podcast network, presented by Investors Bank, on the Giants mobile app on Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. Now we're joined by our guest. He is Bruce Feldman. Bruce, Thank you so much for making the time. I hope our quote unquote off season for football is treating you well. Uh, thanks for having me, John. It's been different just like the rest of 2020 was, but feels like we're going in a positive direction. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see where, where this leads us with on the football side of things. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I'm with you. Let's start here. And every year you post your freaks list, which I think is fantastic. Uh, anybody who doesn't look at it should look at it. We're not going to go through the whole list. But before I even requested this, you a couple days later came out with your big uh, story in The Athletic on some of the new technology in tracking times and athleticism. And I think this all kind of works together a little bit. So let's start with the freaks list first. And the guy that jumps out to me is Jamar Chase, right? When he went to LSU, he did not run a really big 40 time in high school. But that changed pretty quick. So why is Jamar Chase one of the top guys on your freaks list? Uh, a couple of things. So uh, you're right. Measurables wise, he's six feet, maybe 205. He's very strong, for, especially for a college receiver. The thing, and I, I spent um, a lot of time around the, the title team that they had there in 2019. Uh, I worked on a book with Ed Ogier on uh, the LSU head coach. So I was behind the scenes and I was in a lot of the practices and it, and uh, in a lot of the meetings. And he was a guy that that staff raves about. Ultra competitive guy, um, really, really physically strong, but just a relentless worker. And so he has gotten faster and faster. Uh, they think he, will, he would run in the low four fours and just really can separate from, from, uh, from DBs. Went up against the most talented cornerback in college football the last couple of years is Derek Stingley Jr., he would go up against him every day in practice. And, they, and that iron sharpens iron. He really benefited. And I think anybody who saw what he did, including when they played Clemson, and that was really the only time they were in, a deep, in much of a hole in 2019, he dominated an NFL cornerback. So I, I think that, um, you know, to me, from everything I've seen, from everything I've heard, he is the clear best receiver, even though you got a Heisman winner in there in Devontae Smith. He's just so physical he can play inside, he can play outside. And again, just really, really uh, competitive when the ball is in the air as well. And he improved as a route runner too. And that NFL corner that Bruce is referring to AJ Terrell, who got drafted very high last year, Bruce, talk about his play strength a little bit, because that's what struck me when I watched him, you know, you watch him run routes and you see it, but it's not like you're watching Jalen Waddy. Like, Oh my goodness, this is the most elusive guy I've ever seen, but he's open if he has like two inches of separation and just talk about how he uses his strength and his power to be a good wide receiver. Because usually those two things don't go together. Yeah. I think a lot of it is like, he's a guy who's got the physical strength, especially in the lower body where they, he could have been a running back in their eyes in some ways. And I think when you see his ability to come out of, to come out of his cuts, just really, this is a guy, when you mentioned the story I had done on the athletic about, um, performance science and some of the metrics and different testing things where he would really shine in terms of his ability to create space 
from DBs who are, who are, you know, right up on him and then he can just burst and get away from them. I think that's the thing that he has continued to get better and better at. And you saw a huge jump from him from 2018 as a freshman to 2019. And the scary thing in 2019, he did all that as a true sophomore, by the way, at like 19 years old, which is, which is really startling. His competition for that top wide receiver spot this year, Bruce is Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith. They were not on your freaks list. But I got to imagine if Jalen Waddle runs that 40, that's going to be a pretty impressive time, right? Yeah, and I think the things that would really jump out with Jalen Waddle will be the change of direction. Because of these three guys we're talking about, he's the most dynamic as a return guy. Uh, but he's also a couple inches shorter than Jamar Chase and probably 20 pounds lighter. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a little different what you're talking about. But he is a guy who really is a lethal return guy. And, um, you know, I think if he was not injured in the second half of the season, Devontae probably doesn't win the Heisman because I think, you know, all of a sudden then he's going to get a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the throws that Devontae ended up getting. But I mean, they're really, it's really interesting because Devontae is such a smooth route runner and so much faster than his 40 time was. Um, but he's also, you wonder about this, the durability factor, not because he's had issues before because he's played through it, but at the same time now, you're talking about long season, playing with grown men, and it's it's going to be a challenge at, I think, 180 pounds-ish. You know, he came in at like 160. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's different now we're talking about. And I, I, I don't know, uh, I still could see him going, you know, in the top 15 because I think he, his film is terrific. But again, um, just in terms of physical strength, I think that is going to, that is going to be a, and the durability long-term, I think those are things that will be interesting to see how the NFL, um, views him. If there was a combine this year and Kyle Pitts showed up, what would really stand out in terms of his performance being 6'6", 240 pounds, but basically playing with the skills of a wide receiver? Right. And, and from talking to coaches in the SEC, the thing that really wowed them was he is a really good route runner to the point where they think he's basically like a big receiver. Now, I don't know if he's going to give you those things in line wise that, you know, the NFL would want from a traditional tight end. He's different than that. But I think he's a guy who's capable of running in the four fives and he plays very fast. And I think Dan Mullen, the offense coordinator, the head coach and offense coordinator at, at Florida, he's a play caller there. He's really good at coming up with certain things. And I think that in that regard, he really, he really shined for them. Um, teams knew about him and they still couldn't really slow him down. And I thought that um, he's a unique weapon. It's not to say we haven't seen really good tight ends in the NFL, certainly. But I feel like a lot of the guys who end up flourishing in the NFL kind of grow into it. Um, they're athletes who kind of um, maybe didn't have like amazing college careers at, at the big level, um, you know, in, in power five football. This is a guy who had an amazing career. And so we'll see if it, it will see if it how it translates. The edge rusher position is interesting. And you had some of these guys, three of them, on your freaks list, I think in the top 15, if I'm not mistaken, Quiddy Pay, Carlos Basham, and Jason Owe out of Penn State. Owe had no sacks this year, but you watch him on tape. He's everywhere. <laughs> you know, you know, a guy like Quiddy Pay, they didn't play that many games, only had a couple of sacks. But how do you think the league would have reacted when these guys showed up to the combine as we play our what if, what if game here and they did some of these events? Would they have just broken some of the meters and scored off the charts? 
I think so. I mean, Quiddy Pay is a guy who had crazy fast three cone and it just a remarkable ability of change of direction at, at 272 pounds. As you said, I think he played four games this season for Michigan. And, you know, some of it was because of their issues with COVID. Some of it was, was injury related. Uh, he had one really good game this season. I think it was against Minnesota right out of the gate. And then other ways um, wasn't as productive, but I think measurables wise, I think teams are going to look at him and say, man, this guy has a chance because he was a, I think he was basically a running back and a track star in Rhode Island at a high school credit to Michigan to, to finding him and developing him. And I still think there's still a lot of work there on the same side, Jason Owe is the fastest defensive lineman who will be in there. I mean, Penn state had him running in the four threes uh, in the 40, just a crazy, uh, crazy athlete. Now he's still a little raw. What's interesting is, as I look at your mic flag is nobody knows Jason away better than the D line coach for the New York giants, Sean Spencer. So I think, and not to say that this is going to be a slam dunk. If you're the giants, you're going to jump up and, and take him. But there was a lot of really um, gifted defensive ends that, that Sean had there that I just don't know of any of them. To this degree, you know, Shaka Tony's a really good football player. They have a couple other young guys who are coming up, but Owe is just jaw droppingly fast for a, a 6'5, 260 pound defensive end. And then Boogie Basham from Wake Forest, to me, he was the most accomplished of all these guys on the field. You saw him at the Senior Bowl. He's also a different size guy. I mean, he's 280 pounds, um, just a, a ridiculously developed athlete and I think it's like what does the NFL want to see him play because at that size I'm not saying he's a tweener but you know Jason Owe is not you know he's going to be a 4-3 defensive end at that size whereas Boogie Basham I mean does he get to be 300 pounds I mean where where do you where where does the NFL see him in a couple of years because I think there was a lot to be really intrigued by when they saw him in Mobile and he's got some good film and he's on a, he was on a defense at Wake Forest where he was the guy. Right. And so it's like, you know, whereas some of these other guys, even Quiddity pay the Aiden Hutchinson, the other defense, the other guy opposite him was a really, really good football player. So it's not like you could be totally game planned around where Boogie Basham was kind of a, in a different situation there with the demon Deacons. Another player that Coach Spencer, to your point, is going to be very, very familiar with is Michael Parsons, who didn't play this year, opted out. Is he a guy that has all the traits you're looking for? And how do you think he would have, you know, blown up the combine if he would have attended this year? Yeah, I think at 6'3", 240 something, I think he's running 448. Wow. In the, yeah, he's wow guy. And uh, I, you know, I talked to Brent Pry, who's the defensive coordinator there. I talked to his position coach. Those guys gushed about him uh, over the course of the last year when they talked about his potential and what he could be. Also, and I think this bodes well, is one of them had told me, you know, when the spotlight was bigger, he actually responded. You would hear stuff from people inside the Penn State program about, you know, if, it, if they were in a uh, third and, and five situation in the red zone, he would like to be the guy who you're going to throw a fade to. Like he wants to go in and and make every play. And so I think, you know, there's going to be a challenge there in terms of making sure that, you know, his eyes are always in the right place. And I think sometimes where the guy has always been the greatest athlete on the field, and you could say that he was certainly even in the big 10, um, 
you know, what's going to be the process like when there's other guys around you who are grown men as well. But to me, uh, he's different than all the other linebackers in this group. And, you know, when I, and I don't want to say he's this player, but Devin White was a phenomenal athlete at LSU at a big size, you know, 240 pounds, was a former running back, was a 4-4 guy. And we saw that, you know, like what that looked like on the field against the Chiefs. I think there's a lot of similarities to me in terms of what kind of wow athlete you have who can run all over the field, make plays. I think that could be Micah Parsons. One other linebacker I want to ask you about very quickly, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa out of Notre Dame. Is he going to test more like a safety? Uh, it's funny because the safety that Notre Dame has, who's not eligible to be in the draft, Kyle Hamilton, <laughs> if he could test like that, Kyle Hamilton's like 6'4 and 43-inch vertical jump. Like with Jeremiah, I think is a really, really good football player. To me, he is somebody you'd look at and say, okay, I feel like he's going to be good no matter what system you put him in. I think he's everything I've heard. He's a really smart kid. He's very athletic. He was another guy on our freaks list. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a Micah Parsons, but I don't think anybody else who plays linebacker in this group is. And so in that regard, you have him, uh, you have, uh, David Collins from, from Tulsa, who's a bigger dude who makes a lot of plays, who has, you know, just, elite coverage skills despite being as that big it's i think it's a question if you're in the if what team you are what you really value here but i could see um you know he's still around when like you know the ravens pick or somewhere past you know 18 20 i feel like he's going to be a huge steal for someone let's go to cornerback i only have two more questions off your freaks list here before we get to the other story which again i thought was fantastic bruce caleb farley i watched his tape i've never seen a guy track down like four, four wide receivers like Caleb Farley has when he was playing uh, two years ago before he opted out. How fast is he going to test? Uh, are we talking about potential record-breaking times here for him? For a guy that got as much range as he is in terms of, you know, six, two, I think he is probably in the high four threes. I don't think you're looking at four, two, nine at that, at that range. But some of the Virginia Tech staff had told me his GPS numbers were pretty eye opening at that point. And so, uh, you know, you have in these in this group of cornerbacks with him, you have Pat Sertain from from Alabama. Um, you have J.C. Horn, another high pedigree guy, obviously, just like Pat and J.C. Horn's at, at South Carolina. Of those guys, they're all obviously really, really athletic because they play corner and they all and especially um, you know, they have prototype range. I think Farley is just a little different, a little twitchier. And I think, you know, it's just a question of uh, when they turn on the film, will they look and go, okay, we see what this guy is. And then we can see what is this guy going to be, you know, three years from now, because I feel like there was a lot of inconsistency with Virginia tech, I'm not saying necessarily with him, but I think that, um, you know, it's, I, I could see any one of those three guys, you know, uh, I'm working on a story now for the draft for next week. And I talked to a, a couple of different coaches in the SEC. One guy loved Pat Sertan. The other one was like, oh, he might be better as a safety than a corner, you know? And it's like, so it's beauties in the eye of the beholder, but I think you all have, you, you know, you have three top, top 20 caliber cornerbacks there. 
Final question on the freaks list, and I got to bring out the list here because there were more wide receivers on your list than any other position. Not a surprise, Bruce. That's kind of where all the best athletes get shuttled now, right, after not playing quarterback. So a couple of these guys could be available in the second round. I want to kind of focus on two of them because they have the type of size that the Giants might be looking for as a bigger wide receiver. Nico Collins is one out of Michigan. He was an opt-out. I was impressed with him in Mobile. You know, a bit of a long strider, but he could go up, make plays on the ball. And then Simi Fajoko, 6'4", but you said in your freak story that he was running in the low 4-4. So what do you think the upside is is for those two guys? And if they had a chance to participate at the Combine, given their, you know, measurables, both in terms of physicality and in terms of the, the testing, could they have really helped themselves? Yeah, on Simi Fajoko, my, my TV crew at Fox, we did the opener they had in 2019 against Northwestern. And those, everybody in the program, because we were there for, during the week, swore he was a legit 4-4 guy. And you'd see it and you were like, you weren't sure that that was that. Now, when he opens up, yes. I think with Nico Collins, the thing that, that I'd heard, which was big for him related to, remember, in a couple of years ago, he was there with Donald, Donovan Peoples-Jones, was a huge recruit and obviously uh, has gotten, you know, gotten off to a solid NFL career. Um, and then Tariq Black, who ended up going to, te to Texas, but all three were pretty hyped guys. Nico Collins, um, the thing that I had always heard was, was really tough kid. And I think that bodes well because of what you said, he opted out. And I think um, because of, you know, the, the, his physicality in, on the field, I could see him really flourishing. I could also see him being undervalued in the draft process because we're going to talk a lot about the two kids from Alabama, Jamar Chase at the top of the draft. Uh, and then all of a sudden there's going to be other guys who are going to slide around where, you know, you have Rashad Bateman from, from Minnesota, who's a really good football player who, who uh, was a huge recruit for PJ Fleck to get him out of Georgia, but he's similar size and he runs well and he has really good ball skills and I could see him getting a little more attention. Then you have like a, a super fast kid in Tutu Atwell, who's pretty tiny, but he might be the fastest kid in this in this draft. Maybe the exception of, I guess, Anthony Schwartz, who's, you know, legit world-class track guy. But so there's a lot of, a lot of guys to sort through. And I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like Nico Collins could get lost in the shuffle just in terms of in the chatter of this, where I think he's a really, really good football player. And Nico Collins did not play with a great quarterback, unlike a lot of these other guys we're talking about. So, um, you know, I, I really like him. I, I, I think he's, he's good. He's, I think it, he deserves to be talked about in that regard, because I think if he ends up in the middle of the second round or in the third round, people are going to look back and go, Ooh, somebody got to steal out of that. Hey, Giant fans, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. And now, folks, I'm telling you, if you have an athletic subscription, well, if you don't, go get one. But if you have one, make sure you check out Bruce's most recent story. And for the folks that don't know, the NFL is a system called Zebra, which is basically their GPS tracking software. All those next-gen stats, remember Giant fans when they said Daniel Jones ran 24 miles per hour, wherever it was on that 80-yard run he had last year. Well, that's the Zebra system doing that stuff. But Bruce, they're starting to use things similar to that in college, right? And based on the story that you wrote, 
it sounds like it might start at some point once it's adopted more universally, making some of these events in 40 times a little bit obsolete. Yeah, I think it's heading in that direction. Now, Zebra with the chips and the shoulders, everybody on the field, both teams have it. Uh, as we were reported in our story in college, yeah, a lot of teams use GPS, but uh, one of the experts I talked to said, it's a little like only watching game film, but you only get to watch your team. You don't watch the other 11 guys because you, you lose some information just because you don't have the context of it. So what this story really, I thought, you know, was bringing out was so much of this GPS and, and performance science uh, industry has kind of been in the basement of uh, especially college football, where these data scientists will kind of put out the reports every three months and people will kind of parse through it. Dave Anderson, for some NFL fans will remember him, was a receiver for the Houston Texans in the early mid two thousand from 2005 to like 2011. He ended up going to uh, get his MBA at USC and then worked for a company called Second Spectrum, which is a pioneering analytics company that the NBA is a real uh, is a is a heavyweight partner in. And what he has done, I think what now his group Breakaway Data and Steve Guerra is another former NFL coach and executive who is partnered with Anderson and they are backed by the Los Angeles Dodgers who have been really out in front in analytics in baseball. And so what they're seeing is there's, it comes back to, are we asking the right questions of the, of the uh, Intel? Meaning like you yeah, you can find out what somebody's top end was. And like you said it with the Daniel Jones run, but it's also about how quickly somebody separates coming out of a break off the line, what, what do they do? Re-accelerating, de-accelerating, and how quickly does it take some of those other measurables that they have the technology to be able to chart? Um, it's now there. It's the question is, do the, do the coaches actually know it's there? And then what do they do with the data when they went in terms of not just evaluating, but also in terms of the development piece. And that's been fascinating to hear because as Dave explained it to me, um, you're talking about athletes who now they can train differently because they see where they're more deficient in terms of these things. And maybe on the development side of like college athletes and this, in this past year, Nick Saban made a huge change where he got a new um, sports performance staff where he hired uh, Dr. Matt Ray, who is really a pioneer in this field. And so they went away from what had been kind of the traditional strength, strength and conditioning program to something way more science and data-based. And obviously they won a national title. And it, it, for people who see the story in The Athletic, they'll see, you know, Najee Harris, who is a terrific running back. He kind of explains what was different. His position coach can talk about how they really, um, you know, in his mind, how he took to it. Because as he said, you know, kids are way more tangible now. They want to see it and they want to see evidence. They want to see proof. They want to see numbers that they can, that they can really um, tap into. And so that, I think that's where this is all headed right now. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned context and why that's so important because, you know, Bruce, it's, you know, great. Daniel Jones had a 30 yard runway. He got up to X miles per hour. How often is that going to happen a game? Right. Nobody really cares, but you know, how does a guy separate in the first 10 yards of a route? How does he come out of a break? How does he, you know, work in short areas, short area quickness to simulate the three cone drill, for example, is that stuff. If everybody has the same chips and is using the same system that they can actually 
create those data sets in context to tell coaches, well, on this, you know, 20 yard dig route, we know he comes out of the route. Well, or, you know, he shakes this guy in space. Well, can they get into that sort of crazy detail? They can. And that's the interesting thing. So the breakaway data guys, they worked with the XFL. So they had done some beta testing um, with this, the spring league that is a uh, kind of minor league football. And they, they partner with the XFL to create, different combine drills. And so if you, if people go into the story that we had, um, from the athletic the other day, I linked the, um, the receiver drill that's in there. And so now what we didn't include, cause it's kind of hard to see is basically there'll be a graph and a chart where like, it's almost like, looks like there was an earthquake that hit about where the, where the players, um, burst comes, how quickly it is and everything. And it's like all that stuff, um, is manageable. And so, you know, this is very wonky term, but like Anderson, Dave Anderson was saying, you know, like once you get into this, they can, they can iterate off it and kind of coaches can take it wherever they most value it. So let's say, you know, Sean Spencer may value this part of something in a defensive lineman, whereas the Saints D-line coach Ryan Nielsen may value something different, especially in different schemes. And you can measure all that because it's just the key is like kind of writing the writing the program for it. And then kind of it's formatting the data and everything else. And so this company has really got trying to get out in front of that. And what's, you know, that's why some NFL teams are talking to them now because they don't have the combine to basically it's now it's, it's started out as a workaround, but I think what they're going to end up getting into is seeing this is a big compliment to where, Hey, this is probably more useful than the 40 time is, but we'll still do the 40 times because that's what we've always done. Yeah. That game data is always going to be better, right? Combine, nobody's wearing pads, no helmets, things change. Uh, guys train for it, which can sometimes make it different than the game speed, all that stuff. So I guess my question is that how close do you think these individual conferences are to developing these universal standards from team to team? And then I guess the most, the more important question would be, would they be willing to share that data with the NFL front offices when it comes time for drafts? That's so the, the first question is uh, Dave Anderson, who who's from out in Los Angeles, he was like, PAC 12 wants to be known as its innovation conference. They should be the first ones to do this. But the reality is it'll probably be somebody like the sec because the sec is going to see it as a competitive advantage. They will jump in on it. Uh, he thought that's where that would go. We'll see where, you know, where it's funny because in the, within a day of our story going up, I heard from a bunch of different power five coaching staffs who were trying to, to get in touch with breakaway data to, to see about what they could do with them or do for them. So, and that part was interesting. The second piece of this, um, as, as you asked, I think that it's going so fast, but at the same time, um, one of the things that, that breakaway data brought up is like, who owns that? Does the player own their numbers? Um, you know, because if you're an agent, are you going to say, Hey, that's my player. That's his, that's his information. It's almost like his medical records. Um, and I think that stuff probably needs to be sorted out. Cause I'm sure that now I'm sure the teams would argue that it's the colleges, but at the same time, um, the colleges are going to cooperate. You would think, uh, with the NFL teams because they're giving them then, uh, just a kind of an unvarnished, it's not really even an opinion. It's like, Hey, this is what Johnny Smith does 
coming out of his break on on a 10 yard route or whatever it's not it's not like oh you're telling you're revealing drug testing records or things like that which they may you know discuss anecdotally it's just a different thing all right final question bruce i like to ask this for the guys that don't do nfl draft stuff and actually do college for a living because you guys see stuff that i think people watching the tape don't sometimes who is someone that you've seen the last two, three, four years, however long they've been in college football? And you're sitting there and you're like, why aren't these people like mocking this guy in the top 15 or the top 20? I watched him in college football. He's fantastic. Why aren't people talking more about this guy or maybe one, two or three guys, however many you want to throw out there? Anybody really stick out to you that you think is really being underplayed in this draft process? In this year's, in this year's draft? Yeah. Um, let me think about that for a second. Sure. Um, it's funny because this is not the answer you were to say, but like the most wow player that I think I had, you know, as a sideline reporter saw, and this player ended up having a breakout year, especially around the Super Bowl, was Vita Vea. Mm-hmm. Vita Vea watching him in the Pac 12, and I saw him do the in the um Apple Cup, just throwing 310 pound Washington State alignment around like they were like, like kids' furniture. It was just like to see it from field level was mind blowing. Um, Ooh, let me think about this for a second. Like, sorry, this is That's not okay, what you want to I'm just like trying to give it a uh, real I thought. I put you on like, the spot. <laughs> you know, I, I'm curious where Jonathan Adams from, uh, from Arkansas state ends up. I mean, he's really big. He's, he's very athletic. I just think he's a guy who, um, you know, there's, there's a couple kids like guys like this where Auburn has a receiver too, where Seth Williams, where it's just like, they just beast college defensive backs. You just wonder if they're going to be able to do it um, in the NFL to the same degree. Right. And like Seth Williams was that guy at Auburn as well. Um, You know, there's a player from USC, Talanoa Hufanga was a terrific player, a safety was smart, was explosive, was a playmaker. The only thing is, and I feel like I kind of know the answer to why he's probably not getting hyped up as much as his performance would tell me, is just I know he's had a lot of, he's been banged up a lot. Um, you know, I remember we had a, he played a game against Utah on a Friday night in 2019. He was fantastic. And I remember talking to him after the game and he was like, yeah, I played, I, I messed up my labrum in this game <laughs> and he didn't say it on the inter- on the TV interview. He said it afterwards, but you know, like he's a guy who's taken all, you know, has taken a bunch of hits. And so you just wonder what the team doctors are going to give their response. But I thought uh, he is a really, really good football player. And I could see if he stays healthy, I could see him having a terrific NFL career. Uh, Javon Holland, Oregon safety. He is a Bay area kid coaches kid uh, did a bunch of his games there is a wow factor. He was like total three and out guy. He's just, he's, he's a playmaker. He can give you things in special teams. I think he has first round ability. I am surprised he's not, you know, people have not talked about him that way. And maybe there's more stuff that I don't know on that front. Um, but just, I thought he was a, was a fantastic player. Um, you know, got, like I said, I got to see him a bunch. He's one that definitely would fit in there. Um, you know, another guy who I kind of, uh, Pete Warner, who's a linebacker at Ohio State, super versatile. I think he's a really, really good football player. I bet he plays in the NFL for a dozen years. I think he's, I don't, I'm, my guess is he will not be a first or second round pick. 
Um, not huge, runs really well, has some good length. I think he was really uh, one of the most underrated players in college football the last last year. Bruce, fantastic. We appreciate you being so generous with your time. Thank you so much. Hope to have you back on again soon to talk about probably next year's draft when we get to 2022. Anything you want to tell the folks about uh, stuff you're doing that you want them to check out, where they go to find your work and all that good stuff? Uh, just, uh, just go to the athletic or you can, I have a book that came out, um, which I think will give some pretty good insight actually into all, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, Joe Brady, all these LSU guys. Now flip the script. You can find it on top of my Twitter profile. Um, if, if people are really looking for an off season read, that would be it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. I, you know, as, as we're talking about this, I was like, man, I, there's a lot of, a lot of guys who I used to know who, who I will see at the combine or maybe I won't this year, obviously who are now on that staff. So it's um, it's, you know, and you know, you had Bielema last year. So it's, it's, it's cool to see a lot of them kind of, you know, get an opportunity at that level. It is. It's been fun to watch Joe judge, put his staff together and watch him work. Bruce, thanks so much again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bruce Feldman, we thank you for joining us on this episode of the Giants Little Podcast. And a reminder, again, it can be found on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants Mobile app on your favorite podcast platforms. The Giants Podcast Network is presented by Investors Bank. For Bruce Feldman, I'm John Schmuck. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.